0: So I uh, invite you to open your Bibles with me to First Kings chapter three. First Kings chapter three. We are continuing on in our series, walking through the book of First Kings together, and so now, now we are at a, a place in which Solomon has solidified his role as the king of God's people. And so now, uh, we're going to see the transition of the kingdom uh, from a conquering power over to one that is more administrative. And so, let's read the text together, 1 Kings 3, starting in verse 1, uh, and then we'll pray and then get going. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Solomon brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace, the Lord's temple, and the walls surrounding Jerusalem. However, the people were sacrificing on the high places because until that time, a temple for the Lord's name had not been built. Solomon loved the Lord by walking in the statutes of his father, David but he also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there because it was the most famous high place. He offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream that night and God said, ask, what should I give you? And Solomon replied, you have shown great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David because he walked before you in faithfulness, righteousness, and integrity. And you have continued this great and faithful love for him by giving him a son to sit on his throne as it is today. Lord, my God, now you have made your servant king in my father David's place, yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. And so, Father, come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for um, speaking to us and continuing to speak, through us, speak to us through what you've already given us in your word. And so I pray that you'd open our hearts, open our minds to hear what you want to say um, through Solomon's life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So like I said, we, what we've seen over the past two chapters of the book of 1 Kings is there's a trans, been a transition of power from David to Solomon as the new king over God's people. And so now, along with that transition of person, has been also a transition of purpose within the kingdom. And so what David did while he was the king is he was the conqueror. He was the one who went and did all these conquests to, uh, to establish the nation as a power. And so he went and gathered all these other cities and, 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 and made the kingdom unified. Well, Solomon, his son has come in, and now the role of the king is transitioning from warrior to administrator. And so, this, so the kingdom is established. The nation's boundaries are pretty much established. And so now Solomon is in this role, and you get to see a glimpse of the changing nature of the kingdom in these first couple of verses. And so look what it says. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. And Solomon brought her into the city of David, until he finished building his palace, the Lord's temple, and the wall surrounding Jerusalem. So, what's interesting is that this is telling us a couple things about the nature of the kingdom now. So, one is that there is a growing stature of Israel that they previously did not have. Why? Because the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has sent his daughter to go and marry Solomon why would kings do that that was to establish family ties between nations so essentially that was your treaty your peace treaty because if you send your daughter to go marry some other king you're gonna hope that there's not battles happening between your two nations that's why you set it up it's like a it's like a olive branch saying hey listen we're gonna be buddies from now on uh, because we're family now well egypt did that with with solomon here but egypt usually would have never done that because they were always the superpower but now egypt is now at a lower position and they're looking at israel at solomon's kingdom as one that is rising in stature and so they're saying we need to get in good graces with that nation and so we're going to send our daughter to go and marry solomon and so that's what's happening with that well with a woman with who's so dignified to come into the nation Solomon has to begin a building project for her. So what he does is he brings her into the city of David until he finished building his palace and the Lord's temple and the wall surrounding Jerusalem. So along with shifting the nature of the kingdom with regard to diplomacy, he also starts to build infrastructure. And so what he's talking about when he says the city of David, well, when David was king over Jerusalem, The city itself was not a major metropolis. It was a relatively small city. And you you think of Jerusalem, you're like, oh my gosh, massive global city. And it really wasn't at the time. It was actually pretty small and cramped. And so if you go to Jerusalem today, there's a, then you go to the old part of Jerusalem, it's called the city of David. And that's where the original wall was built. And it's, it is really, really small. And so within that little cramped area, uh, Solomon was going to build a temple. And then a- as he brought this woman into the city of David, that really was not a good enough place for a woman that dignified. And so he's expanding the borders of Jerusalem and he's going to build a palace for her. So there's a subtext here with this that I, I don't know whether this is a bad thing yet or not, because God, declared for his kings to not intermarry with women of other nations. Why? Because when you bring in foreign people from other nations, you bring in their foreign gods, and that leads you to idolatry. The text here doesn't really declare a verdict as to whether Solomon did a bad thing or not. I, so I, I don't know whether this is a bad thing, uh, that Solomon did marry this woman or not. I don't know, but we're going to deal with that in chapter 11 as we get later on in the book of Kings. But for now, what this is telling us is that God has established Solomon in such a way that foreign powers are looking at his kingdom and saying, we need to get in his good graces. We need to be with that guy. There is this growing nature of this nation. And so Solomon is building, pro, uh, building projects as well. And so look at verse 2. However, there's a problem. The people were sacrificing on the high places. Because until that time, a temple for the Lord's name had not yet been built. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But look, at, look what it says about Solomon. This is, this is really important for us. Solomon loved the Lord. By walking in his, the statutes of his father David. You know, if you search in the Old Testament, there's no one else, to my knowledge, that the Old Testament states this about. There's nowhere else in the Old Testament in which they say this guy loved the Lord. And maybe maybe there's there's people who certainly loved him. There's certainly people like Enoch says he walked with the Lord and then he was no more. There were people who loved God and followed him. But the text here is, is is specific and says Solomon loved the Lord. And so what you see here is this transition of power to the new king is bringing along with it a godly king is bringing a godly man the one that god said i'm going to be with him forever this guy is now coming in to govern god's people and he's doing it well and so so in in deuteronomy moses is about to pass away and he's telling the israelites he says listen as you're heading into the, conquer, uh, into the promised land, you're going to be heading over there. Uh, the goal for you, what God calls you to do, is to be obedient to God, obedient to his statutes, his ordinances, his laws. And if you do that, you're going to obtain blessing. But if you don't do that, then this law will become a curse to you. And God will set his face against you. And that was Deuteronomy chapter 11. And so what Solomon is proving here is that he's living up to it. He's living up to it for now. And how does he prove his love for God? Look at this. I want you to see this. Solomon loved the Lord. And how do we know that? Look at verse 3. He loved the Lord by walking in the statutes of his father, David. How Solomon was living his life was proving his love for god that's a that's a really profound statement and so here's the question is is yours is yours is your life proving that you love christ but coinciding with that he also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places He loved the Lord by walking in the statutes of his father David, but he also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. High places. What is that? That's kind of an interesting statement. So what a high place was, was an unauthorized altar or or sacred place in which people would go to worship God. So oftentimes they were co-opted sacred places of foreign deities. And so they would come in, conquer the people, take their land, see this high place that was usually on a hill or a mountain, uh, sometimes with caves underneath uh, to symbolize the underworld. And so they would go to these places and they're like, oh, this is a good place to worship God. There's already an altar here. This is, our, this is a new place for us to go and worship God. And so they would show up, uh, whether they were in Gibeon or Shiloh or somewhere else, they'd show up. And they would say, this is a good spot. Let's worship God here. And, uh, and that was called a high place. And so they all these uh, 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 Jews or, or he- Hebrews, I guess, would show up at these different high places and worship God. The problem is that they were un- unauthorized by God. That was not a place that God said, you can go and worship me here. And they were ripe to be co-opted for idolatry. For idolatry. Why? Because that's what those places were set up to be originally, idolatrous places. And so there is a theme, a major theme, in the book of 1 Kings that we are going to see, especially in the coming chapters, over the centralization of worship in Jerusalem. The centralization of worship in Jerusalem. Here's what I mean by that, is that God will be worshipped how he tells us he's going to be worshipped. God is going to be worshipped in the way and in the manner that he tells us that we can do it. He's the one who's in control. He's the one who's in charge. You can't just show up and worship God however you want. You can't just show up when you want, where you want, in the manner you want, and worship God and assume that he's good with it. And that is going to be a major theme throughout this book. Throughout this book. And so, so when you look at the high places, always think that's not a good place. That's not a good place. Why? Because God said, don't go worship me there. That's not where I want you to worship me. Why? High places created a disjointed Uh, A a system of worship in which we would go to God on our own terms and worship him in in the way that we desire to do it. And it was a fragmented system, ripe to be co-opted for idolatry. And so you could go to Gibeon and worship God in a certain way. Then you can go to another city and worship God in a certain way. However, the priest had set up there. And you're like, nah, listen, I'm worshiping God. It's good enough. If I'm giving him my time, then, then God should be fine with that because I'm still doing something along those lines. And it'll be, it'll be fine. But what God is saying in the book of 1 Kings and for you and me is that he's the one in control. He is the one in charge. He decides how we approach him. And what he said is that, no, you are not to go to high places. You're not to go uh, reach me through some other means through what I told you, how you're going to reach me. You're not going to reach me through doing good works. You're not going to reach me through going through Allah or getting nirvana or or getting that promotion. And like somehow like through that thing, you're going to attain me. He says, you're not going to do that. The only way that you can come to me and be in my presence is to go to my temple that's what he's telling Solomon here that's what he's gonna say is my worship is going to be only in my temple in Jerusalem and so God authorizes or sets up and is leading leading Solomon to understand that true worship of God is at the temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah which is the city that he or the 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 mountain that he led Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on. He's like, that is my holy hill and that is the place where my spirit is going to rest. And if you want to come to me, you go there. That's what he's setting up. Therefore a major section of the book of Kings is about Solomon building God, a temple, there for everyone to come to god in the place that god says to come to him god chooses how he's going to be worshiped why because he is the one in control not you not me and that's exactly what we see in jesus christ right that's exactly what we see in Jesus. He graciously comes to us yet. well, Brent read in John 14, what does he say? I'm going away. Well, we don't know where you're going. Well, just, you know, just go to a high place or try to do some good stuff or, or just try not to cuss a lot. And then maybe you'll get there. Like, no, what does he say? If you want to get to God, you go through his temple. What does he say? I am the way. If you want to attain God, you go through me. That's what he's saying. All access to God is restricted to the means that God set up. That is what God is leading us through history to understand every bit of it. It's pointing to his son. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 2. He has just cleared out the temple. He has just cleared out the temple for people who are trying to sell stuff. And And these Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, what are you doing? Why are you clearing out our businesses here in the temple? And Jesus, like they said, what sign do you show us for you doing these things? And what does Jesus say? Destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. And therefore the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. What did Jesus just tell us? He says, all worship of God is centralized in his temple. But is no longer going to be that temple, but this temple. That Is what Jesus was saying all worship of God is restricted to the place that God authorizes And as as this as salvation history unfolds What we see is that Jesus was God's plan all along and he's pointing us to the one way to attain him Which is his son his new temple That's what it's telling us and so here in first Kings here in 1 Kings, we are seeing glimpses of the severity of our God in which he is not weak, but he is someone who's in control, in control of history, and in control of our worship. And he is someone to be submitted to. That's what 1 Kings is telling us. And so, and so throughout, this, throughout this book, as we progress through it, here's a question. Is what happens to the high places that's a theme we want to look at as we go through this book is what happens with the high places because what a king does with a high place whether destroying it or using it will tell us is that King faithful to God or is he not that's what we're gonna see now coinciding with the severity of God in restricting worship to his temple There's a second theme in this section of of 1 Kings 3 that I want you to see. Because you see God's severity, but you also see God's faithfulness. him reasserting his faithfulness to his people. Look what happens in verse 4. The king went to Gibeon, one of the high places to sacrifice there because it was the most famous high place. And he offered a 1,000 burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream that night. So he's there at the hotel, hanging out. He just sacrificed, and so now he's in bed, asleep, and God comes to him in a dream. And God said, ask, what? should I give you? What should I give you? God appears or comes to Gibeon. Why does he come to a high place? I don't know. Why does he use it? I don't know. But he comes to his king Solomon, who does love him in a dream at night, and he comes to him and asks, what should I give you? Now, why would God do that? What God is doing is he is showing Solomon that he has not forgotten about his covenant with his dad, David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, he he made a covenant with David, his dad, and said, I... Well, I'm going to create a house for you, a dynasty. When your son, after you die, I'm going to raise up your son after you, and I'm going to be his father, and he's going to be my son. And when he, when he runs away from me, I'm going to discipline him, and I'm going to establish his throne forever. And that was a covenant that God made with David. And so now here he's making good on that promise in which he's showing up to David's son Solomon and saying, listen, listen. I haven't forgotten about that promise because that promise for him is a promise to you and so now I'm here with you what should I give you because I am faithful to what I said I'm gonna do and so now he comes and he says what should I give you and look at what Solomon says Solomon replied verse 6 you have shown great and faithful love to your servant My father, David, even the king before God is just a servant. And he comes and he says, you have shown great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and integrity. You have continued this great and faithful love for him by giving him a son to sit on his throne as it is today. You upheld your promise to my dad. And look what he says here. This is important for us. Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in my father's place. Yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. What he literally says is, I don't know my right hand from my left. And that is a really crazy statement for a guy, a a 20-something-year-old guy who has just ascended and been handed a kingdom. He's been handed a kingdom. And so most guys, I'm, I'm just fresh out of my 20s, so I feel like I can still say this. When you're in your 20s and you get a role, you feel like the king right like you feel like you can handle everything and you are like you like of course i can of course i was given this role because i i'm 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 the dude i'm wise i'm strong i'm like i can outrun everyone in this room like you start thinking stuff like that and solomon in his 20s is here And he's confronted with God. You see the severity of God in restricting his worship to where God tells you you can worship him. But then also at the same time being shown the faithfulness of God in which God is appearing to him. And in light of that, Solomon begins to recognize who he is. And he says, you've given me this role. But I am just a kid. And I don't know my right hand from my left. And so he responds to God here in the exact same way or just just about that his dad, David, responded to God in 2 Samuel 7 when God appeared to him and made a covenant. And after he gave the covenant, David's response was, who am I? Who am I? And what is my family that I should be in this position with you? And Solomon here, when he is confronted with God's faithfulness towards him, he sees who God is, and he sees that in light of where he is and what he has been called to do. And his response in the same way of David's is this, who am I that I should be in this position with you? Who am I? And that's really the story of all Christianity, isn't it? It's really the story of all of us who have had faith, who have faith in Jesus. And Solomon is in his new position, not by his own strength, not by his resume, not by his skill, but because of God's own doing and God's own choice. God said, you are my king, get in that role, run, do it, I'm going to be with you. And he's in there. And he's like, oh, my gosh, who am I that I should be in this role? The same way, how true is that for all of us who, are, who have faith in Jesus and who are disciples of Jesus? Because God has given us position in him. We sang about that. We're no longer prisoners. Now we're royalty. God has given us position in Christ, spiritual authority, access to Him 24 7, and the presence of His Spirit living inside of us, making us His new temple. He has given all of this stuff based. Out of his love for us and his election of us it's nothing we did to earn it. No skill, no good work, no amount of church attendance, no amount of little cussing, whatever. Like, like there's nothing you did. There's no place to turn in a resume in order to gain a position with God. It's only based out of his love for you, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and your place in his election of you. That is the reason. That you have any place with God. That is the only reason you have a place with God. And so the same thing for Solomon is true for us. When we are faced with the severity and the faithfulness of God. And we respond with who am I. Who am I when we see who we are in light of who he is. And where he's placed us that is the proper response who am I that I should be so loved by you that you should be so faithful to me that I should be in the position that I'm in because I know the wickedness of my heart and so through faith in Christ based out of his love for us and his choosing of us that how we're saved this is what Ephesians 2 chapter Ephesians 2 says to us listen I'm gonna read this to you Ephesians 2 and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world according to the ruler of the power of the air the spirit now working in the disobedient we, too, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and the thoughts, and, and were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. That was your backstory. But God, but God, because of his love that he had for you, his faithfulness towards us, and his choosing to be kind to us, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with christ even though we were dead in trespasses you are saved by grace he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in christ jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in christ jesus for you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves it is god's gift not from works not from your resume or your skill or your church attendance or your amount of good things you do or say on facebook not from works so that no one can boast your salvation is not from you it's only from god For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And so, may we, along with Solomon, when we recognize and grasp God's severity and his faithfulness towards us, Respond to him by saying, who am I that I should be so loved by you?